Well, good morning, Five Oaks. Everybody is here, yeah. That's our first time with our full band, and uh, boy, it's, it, was, it was exciting. It felt so good. Yeah, it did. And uh, welcome to those of you who are watching live online or on demand later. Great to have you uh, with us. We're... Um, couple of things before I, I get started in the sermon. One is I really want to encourage you uh, to fill out that communication card online, to go to your, what is it, short code, and, uh, and do that. Because at, at this time, we've always had, you know, paper. We're, we're, we're a church that when we get here, we sign in. We, by signing in, you're saying, I'm here. Uh, you know, I'm still part of this congregation. And uh, it matters to us. We, we don't just want to have millions of names on uh, as if they're attending our church and, and they're really no longer involved. And if you're a member, it's really important because if we don't see you for a while, we, we check to see if everything's okay. Uh, we can't do that with everybody, but we definitely do that with our members. And so um, please, please fill that out. And you can do your prayer requests, all of that. At a time like what we're in right now, Staying connected is especially important. So if you would fill that out, we would really appreciate that. Also, as we go into this fall, we're, we're thinking about what we might be doing. I don't know if the decision has been made, and I don't know about it yet. It's quite possible about what we're doing with children. I've heard a, a, a plan, a possible plan. Uh, a lot of it depends on what the schools are doing and trying to follow their lead and all of that. So, uh, but. If we begin doing more with kids beyond the family experience, uh, what we're going to need uh, is people. I've talked to friends who are saying that, yeah, we would start Sunday school, but we don't have the volunteers. And so, and I understand why uh, my wife's a teacher, and she's trying to figure out how she's going to go back into the classroom, and she's in the age that's, you know, vulnerable, and she wears hearing aids, and she can't, She 50% of her hearing is reading lips. She's trying to figure that out, and so I understand all the issues around COVID and everything like that, but if you're willing uh, to come back, you can come back health-wise, all that sort of thing. You can work with masks. Uh, I want to encourage you, even if, if in the past, you know, we've always said just work in the area of your passion, we may need beyond that for our families, and so let us know if you can help or when we ask. It would be great to, to have you be a part of that. All right, so this is week two of our series on Jonah called Experiencing Amazing. And uh, the book of Jonah is, is a book that shares God's heart for people who are far from him. I mean, we oftentimes think of it as the one where, you know, the, the, the big fish swallows Jonah. That is a very, very small part of the story. It's really a story about God's heart for people who are far from him. It's also a story about what happens when we neglect that in our own hearts, when God's people... Uh, neglect it, minimize it, uh, even fight against God in terms of his mission that he's called us to, to bless the whole world, joining Jesus in that, in his gospel mission. We need to raise the outreach temperature. We're going to be talking every week during this series and the next about outreach temperature. We need to raise our outreach temperature so that we are loving and reaching out to people far from God in what this new normal uh, ever winds up to be. I mean, I guess this is the new normal, and next week it'll be a different new normal. And by outreach passion, what I'm talking about is a passion uh, for God's mission to bless people. That's what your outreach temperature is. If you have an outline, you can see down at the bottom uh, an opportunity to kind of gauge where your own temperature is right now. Sometimes our sense of joining God in his mission is really hot, those of us who are followers of Jesus. 
Other times it's really cold. And it's okay to admit that, that right now maybe you're feeling really cold. You're, you'd be down all the way on the you know, left side uh, of that. Uh, but whatever it is or anywhere in between, we all have an outreach ten- temperature. And it is our responsibility before God to steward it, to manage it. I mean, we talk about stewarding our talent, time, and treasure. Let's add another T to that, our temperature. We need to, we need to steward our temperature. So... What's your outreach temperature right now? Think about that. Where are you? If you're a follower of Jesus, where are you in terms of, of feeling that, that burning hot passion to do God's work of mission uh, with Jesus? So this series is going to be followed by a very practical series on how to do that in very practical terms. So in this series, we're going to be really building up towards that, and then we'll have a series that gets really practical about that. Now... One of the things is when our outreach temperature is hot, we are on mission for him. But it works the other way around. When we're on mission for him, when we say yes to him and we take the opportunities to touch people's lives, to share our faith, all those kinds of things, our outreach temperature actually goes up. And so these things work, work together. And when our outreach temperature is hot, we bless the world. We bless the people around us. We do things like what we saw on the fog just a little while ago. And, um, and so, if you get a chance, if you have a pen with you on, those, on the sermon application guide, you go down to the bottom and just, just mark where you are today. Be an interesting discussion around lunch, possibly as a family. And again, it's okay to say zero. I'll tell you a story somewhere along the line in this series or the next, can't remember where it is, um, but I am going to share with you a story of a pastor who every time he would meet with the other pastors to talk about this would put a zero or a one for months and why. So that happens in our lives. There's no shame in that. Just recognize it and then seek to do something uh, about it and pray and and ask God. All right, so today we're going to be talking about divine appointments, divine appointments. I firmly believe that God is orchestrating, orchestrating appointments between people who are hungry for God and people who know God personally. Every day, God is orchestrating those. They're appointments. But here's the catch. We have to be aware of those appointments. God may be arranging an appointment and we're like not even realizing that what's what's happening. We need to be actually looking for them in our everyday lives. So Dave Ferguson, who's a pastor in the Chicago area, has a friend named Dean. He works in a campus ministry in Michigan State University. And every morning Dean prays for divine appointments. And then as he goes throughout his day, this is Dean's approach to every single day. Every person I meet, I'm going to just assume it's a divine appointment. Pretty good way of, of thinking about life. And so um, Dean uh, recalled to Ferguson one day, about a time that he had an appointment that had been canceled, and, and he was trying to figure out what to do. He said, normally I would go to Facebook or I would go to uh, email. And this time I decided to stop and just to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do to redeem this time? I've got a little extra time. What do you want me to do? And he just sat quiet before God, and the name of a student in the student ministry came to him, Janice. And so he contacted Janice, and um, he told her, um, he told her, hey, uh, and, and the, the specifically when the name came, he thought, I really need to tell her about how she can come back to God, how she can know God personally. And so she called Janice, they got together for coffee, and when they met, 
he said to her, he said, Janice, I, I was praying and your name came to mind and I felt like I was supposed to share with you how you can become a follower of Jesus. And Janice started crying. And immediately he thought he'd said something wrong. He said, oh man, I'm insensitive. I'm sorry. I just shouldn't have probably blurted that out like that. And Janice said, no, 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 <laughs> that's not what's happening. She said, I just can't believe that you're here. Last night I went to my small group. They got to talking about what it means to be a Christian. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I had trouble sleeping last night. Didn't know what to do. So I prayed this morning asking God to bring someone to me today who could tell me how to become a Christian. And she smiled and she said, and you're here. And I can hardly believe it. That, my friends, is a divine appointment. <laughs> but they're not usually so dramatic. They're not usually so dramatic. Most of the time, a divine appointment is a simple conversation that you have with someone, an interaction, that may lead to a dramatic moment later on in their life, and you're not even going to be there to see it. Most of the time, you're not going to be there to see it. Every day, we get to enter into that kind of adventure in our lives. So today we're looking at how not to miss a divine appointment and how to prepare our hearts to be looking for them and to notice them. And we're going to begin by praying the prayer of illumination, praying God to illuminate his word to our hearts, and then you'll hear the reading of scripture. Uh, this prayer is based in Ephesians 2. Please join in reading the underlined or praying the underlined portions. Heavenly Father, because of your love and your mercy, we are your children, filled with your spirit, saved by grace, and made alive with you. Speak to us through your spirit as we turn to your word. Show us more of who you are and who we are in you. Remind us that we are chosen and created for your good purposes. Our true identity is found in you and in your love for us through Christ. May your love and mercy to us overflow from us into the world around us. And I just want to continue praying for a moment. Father, I, I do um, think about school coming and the strain, uh, incredible strain on families right now. The difficulty uh, when their kids are home for so many families. And I pray for the safety in, in the schools, for the kids, for the teachers, administrators, all the people that work there. And uh, I pray for, for peace as we all wait to see what's coming and as we live, knowing that it can change very quickly. Give us your peace. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God works in spite of Jonah. Nope. God works in spite of you. Wrong video. And me. But what? Jonah 1, 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. 
Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God who created the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them that. All right. <clears throat> so last week we focused on those opening verses. We had them read again and uh, carried on the story a little bit uh, farther. So Jonah is told directly, directly by God. He's a prophet. He's told directly by God to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. And he runs. He seeks to exit God's story of grace and mercy and compassion and blessing for the world. He wants to have nothing to do with the possibility of Assyria uh, responding to, to the sermon. So God, in his love for Nineveh and for Jonah, hurls a storm at him. That's what the text says. It hurls, he hurls a storm at him. And he, um, he does this to, in order to get him back on track, in order to get his attention. But as we saw in the reading, even the storm fails to get him back on track. He's sleeping in the bowels of the ship. And he's, um, it, there's a horrendous storm going. When you're sleeping during a horrendous storm and you're running away from God and you're a prophet of God, it probably is indication, an indication that you've shut down, that just emotionally you have shut down. And so he's out of God's will. He knows it. He's shut down. He's depressed. He's lost. But even in the storm, God is orchestrating an encounter with people. There's a, a divine appointment being made here with people who are very far from, from God. And the seamen, the captain, they're right there ready to hear about the one and true God and to turn to God. Everybody in this part of the story has more faith than Jonah, the prophet of God. These folks are pagans. They're polytheists. They believe in many, many gods. But they're expressing more faith uh, than Jonah, the prophet of God. And they end up praying and sacrificing and making vows to God. Um, but not in this story, but not just to the God of Jonah, but to Yahweh. You see capital letters like that in the Bible? It means that's the name of God, the covenant name of God. God arranges an appointment with Jonah, and they turn to the one and true God in spite of Jonah. So how do we not miss an appointment? We're going to watch uh, a little bit of video, and then I'll pick up from where we leave off. God works in spite of Jonah. God works in spite of you and me. But why miss out on joining him in his work? If we took Jonah's outreach temperature as he's running from God and his mission at that point in time, on a scale of 1 to 10, he would have been easily into, well into the negative. He's not just cold towards the mission of God. He's opposed to God's mission at this point in his life. But as we'll see in a couple of weeks, God's going to use this event in his life to raise his temperature, to raise his passion for joining him in his mission. Now, if I'm right about this and God is orchestrating divine appointments all the time for us, almost every day between us and people who are far from him and who are actually open to his message of grace and love, how can we keep from missing it altogether? I think that's where... Uh, it's important to pay attention. Uh, we need to pay attention to whomever 
everyone who crosses our path. You know, we all have a favorite path or our favorite paths and we have our chosen paths. And this path that I'm on right now, this literal, literal path is one of my favorites. So I've preached here more than once during COVID. It also has the advantage of blocking the wind. But my faith is a path as well. And the Bible oftentimes speaks of our path as a faith path. And God arranges appointments with people who are on different faith or religious paths from ours. These seamen in the story, they're on a different religious path from Jonah and Israel. Their path, according to the Bible, is a dead end. And their path and anyone on their path impacts uh, not only their own lives, but also impacts our world in deeply destructive ways. Now, sometimes the worldview and lifestyle of those that are on paths, different faith paths than ours, uh, sometimes that path repulses us. We have to admit, though, sometimes their paths entice us. Sometimes it does both. And if we're Christians, we can see and recognize a threat, a very real threat that that path is going to entice people that we love, especially, especially the next generation. And when that happens, and when we're really aware of it, what happens oftentimes is we become very angry. So sometimes we're tempted to scream at and fight with and even hate our mission field, people on a different path than the path that we're on. But God's call on us, on his people, is to reach out in love to people who are far from him with the message of God's grace in the gospel. Anger gets in the way of that. Anger and hate uh, keep Jonah from ever being aware of God's appointment right there in front of him. But sometimes, sometimes it's not anger that gets in the way. Sometimes it gets in the way. Sometimes it's just plain self-absorption. And Jonah is self-absorbed. As we're going to see later in the story, he's extremely self-absorbed. By the way, you shouldn't miss the irony in the fact that a pagan sea captain reminds the self-absorbed prophet of God to pray. Those of you who follow God, who have received the gospel and put your faith in God are on a path marked out by Jesus. But every day, you and I have people on other paths who cross our path. What if we prayed like Dave Ferguson's friend, Dean, and we just assumed that the people who cross our path are divine appointments and paid attention to what's happening in their lives. So a couple uh, of series ago, we spent a little bit of time on one particular week talking about a top five prayer list. People that we're praying for who, they've told us they, they're, they, they don't know God personally, they're on a different path, but we could be praying for them that, that they, would, they would hear the gospel in various ways that it would maybe break through and it would be something that they would receive for themselves. And we're going to come back to that and how to do a top five list, but uh, it's, not, it's not rocket science. It's just putting five or more names or less names on a little piece of paper where you're going to see it every day and every day praying for those people specifically and for any possible divine appointments that they might have that day. So how can we keep from missing a divine appointment. First of all, we need to pay attention to whomever crosses our path. Second, we need to treat different different. I know that's bad grammar, 
but I thought it'd be more memorable, more memorable. -er. I didn't know that was going to be so hard to say. It was easy to write. Treat people who are different from you, that are on a different spiritual path, different religious path, a no religion path. Treat them differently. We live in a world, I'm not going to get into it, but we live in a world where being different is oftentimes seen by some people as being unsafe. And there's the whole cancel culture thing going on, and there's even you know, some, some people who question whether there is cancel culture or isn't cancel culture. But the, the reality is that in the past, the Christians have been, we Christians have been the leaders in cancel culture. That's, that's, that's reality. Nobody can argue with that. The reality is we're not called to be the world's moral police. We never were. But we seem to have taken on that role in the past. Um, and so many still try to be the world's moral police uh, if they're in positions of power and influence. Rather than simply influencing, rather than being a light for Jesus, sometimes we go into a trying to enforce our way of life and our way of thinking on other people. But we're called to treat different, differently from everyone else. We're not supposed to go into that kind of thing. Our goal is to bless, not to police our world. Our goal is to bless, not to police our world. doesn't mean that we're not going to speak about the common good and the things that Christianity can bring to our world and advocate for some of those things. That's not what I'm talking about, but not policing the world. Doing whatever we do with the purpose of, of blessing the world. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, gets to the core of the problem for most of us and for Jonah. What's at the core of it? Uh, when the seamen ask Jonah who he is and where he's from, and they ask a series of questions to try to identify this man, Jonah leads with his ethnicity and race. And Keller, um, Keller suggests that that may be where his primary allegiances are. So he says, I am a Hebrew. And then he says something about his religion, who he follows. Jonah's relationship with God was not as basic to his identity as his nation and his race. And that's why when, lo why when loyalty to his people and loyalty to the word of God seemed to be in conflict, what did he choose? He chose his nation and his nation's historic hates overtaking God's love and message to his nation's enemy. Jonah chose his nationality, his race, over his covenant relationship with God when his relationship with God was from the very start of his people, of the Hebrew people, through Abraham. His call was to bless the entire world. The core of Jonah's problem is Jonah's relationship and identity was not basic, as basic to his identity as his nation. Now, of course, race and nationality aren't the only things that can block the development of a Christian self-identity that God wants to develop in us. Uh, you can be a very sincere believer and check off all the boxes of how you've put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation and still be in your daily life more grounded actually in your career or in your financial worth than you are in the love of God. Tim Keller writes this. He says, shallow Christian identities explain why professing Christians can be racist and greedy materialists, addicted to beauty and pleasure, or filled with anxiety and prone to overwork. 
all this comes because it is not Christ's love, but the world's power, or the world's approval, or the world's comfort, or, the world, or controlling the world, our world, that are at the real roots of our self-identity. Now, those are, those are tough words for us to hear if we'll really listen to them. And they're the kind of words that we should stop and ask God to search our hearts to root out any of those in us. But when our identity is firmly planted in Christ, we join him in his mission. He is our king. His loves become our loves. His concerns become our concerns. Our temperature, our outreach temperature, begins to rise. That process happens in our life. This is the central message of Jesus uh, it's a central message of the gospel. It crosses national boundaries. It crosses racial boundaries. It treats enemies as objects of love and cares about the irreligious and devotees of other religions. Cares about people from other religions and people who hold no religious convictions or say they have no religious convictions. I'm going to say it again. When our identity is firmly planted in Christ, we join him in his mission. He is our king. His loves become our loves and his concerns become our concerns. How can we keep from missing divine appointments? Okay, so... Pay attention when people are crossing our path. What if we thought like Dean and saw every person who crosses our path as a potential divine appointment? Second, treat different different. Don't join in with the crowd of creating major boundaries and divisions and you're over there and you're my enemy and we're over here, but cross those boundaries in love. Last one is apply common sense. And by common sense, I mean something other than what you're thinking right now. I'm talking about actually two, uh, two very important theological concepts that we constantly have to be reminded of. And the first one is called common grace. Common grace is a teaching in the Bible that God bestows wisdom. Listen to this. God bestows wisdom, moral insight, goodness, and beauty across humanity, whatever they believe. It's a really important doctrine of Scripture. Doesn't matter what their religious beliefs are, God bestows those things in humanity. So, in his book on Jonah, Tim Keller also reminds us that God is ultimately enabling even every goodness, wisdom, justice, beauty, no matter who does it. God is an enabler of that. God does not just work with his people, but God, there is a common grace of God. Common grace doesn't save you, it doesn't make you right with God, it doesn't reconcile you with God, it doesn't make you part of his covenant people, but the doctrine posits that the world would have destroyed itself if not for common grace, or at least would be completely ruled by power and cruelty without common grace and God's enabling in all places at all times. What you see happening to the sailors is a work of God's common grace, and Jonah should have recognized it. Jonah himself was a recipient of what the theologians call special grace. And yet, even though he had received special grace, meaning he had seen the call of God, he had followed God, the one true God, the pagans there who believe in many gods and don't believe in the one true God outshine him at every turn. In this story, common grace means that atheists, idol worshipers, and agnostics often act better and more righteously than believers despite their lack of faith. Whereas believers, who were all still a work in progress and at different places in that progress, we often act far worse than 
our biblical knowledge or our faith should, should lead us to believe. That, that's a doctrine of Scripture. So if you scratch your head and sometimes say, why is it that you know, this atheist friend is so much kinder than this non it's, it's common grace. The Scripture speaks to that. I mean, the Bible is filled with teaching on common grace. All this means that Christians, of all people, we should be humble and respectful because we get outshined by people who don't even have the Holy Spirit. should make us extra, extra humble and respectful toward people who don't share our faith. We should be appreciative of all the good work done by people who don't share our faith, knowing that people who are far from God often have very much a lot to teach us. Jonah is learning this the hard way. The other common sense um, that we need to apply is a doctrine called the common good. So Jonah has a private faith, obviously, that neglects the common good of humanity. He's right with God. His, you know, people he loves, people around him are right with God, but he doesn't think about the common good of humanity. This is a really important theological doctrine. We are called, Jesus said, to be salt and light in our world. Whole swaths of Christianity today privatize faith and neglect the common good regularly. On Wednesday, I participated in a Zoom workshop uh, titled An Introduction to Our Racialized Economy with Dr. Luke Bobo, sponsored by Twin Cities uh, Made the Flourish chapter, which we partner with Made the Flourish. And he talked about the Rondo neighborhood that was basically destroyed when I-94 went through there in St. Paul. And he shared several things I had not, never heard before. I mean, I've heard of the Rondo neighborhood. I've heard of the destruction caused by I-94. But there were some things I had not heard before. One of the things he said was home ownership in that black neighborhood was higher than all the other neighborhoods in St. Paul or the white population altogether. Home ownership was higher in the Rondo neighborhood. The percentage of people who lived there owned their own homes. And the highway went through. It destroyed property values. Literally destroyed wealth. Think of your home right now. Think of what you paid for it. Think of a highway going right through and it creating something where your home now all of a sudden has lost half its value or more. What that does to your wealth and to your future and what it takes to get back from that. And I want you to hold that thought because when Dr. Luke said when he moved to St. Louis to teach at Covenant Seminary, he and his wife made an offer on a house. You see, Dr. Luke, he's not... He's not a really old man. Might be around my age, maybe a little bit more, I don't know, maybe a little less. Okay, so this is an ancient history. He moves into a neighborhood, put an offer on a house. The neighbors on the right and on the left had to okay for a black family to move into his neighborhood. Yeah, because of the covenant for that neighborhood. So this is, this is, this is a guy, that Christian guy, that he's a seminary professor. This was his experience. And then if you think, well, that was a while ago, <laughs> The moderator for this Zoom meeting is a young white pastor, lives in the north part of Minneapolis. I don't know if he's on the loop or where, where he is, but he's in the northern Minneapolis area. And he's a, he's a church planter, young family, and he says, that is still in the covenant of my neighborhood right now. It just, it's not enforced, but it hasn't been removed. This is not ancient history. This is right now. And this history has deeply injured the hearts and the wealth and the aspirations of so many black Americans today. And it's undeniable. What's the answer? 
you know, what can you do? Well, one of the answers that I keep hearing from uh, uh, black leaders, pastors that I really respect, who have a gospel-centered perspective, is at the very least, this is not all, at the very least, when you see injustice, speak up. When you see injustice, speak up. Be salt and light. Don't privatize your faith so much that you neglect the common good. Dr. Luke asked, what if Christians in positions of power and decision-making had advocated for the Rondo neighborhood? Now, I don't know all the history of the Rondo neighborhood. I don't know if some did. Maybe some did. Sometimes that's not recorded. Good works are rarely recorded. <laughs> so maybe some did and they lost. Maybe, was, maybe the, the highway was um, inevitable. I don't know. Uh, and um, so may, maybe it was inevitable, but could something have been done to make up the difference for the people in those neighborhoods whose property values went down? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know the details of it, but I do know this. Uh, in the 1950s, uh, people in those black neighborhoods didn't have representation in the places where they were making these decisions. But there were Christians there. I hope they spoke up. I don't know if they did, but that's a call on our lives. It's not all we should do, but it's the least that we should do. When that happens, when the opportunity to be salt and light comes up, when you see injustice, that is, by the way, a divine appointment. It's a divine appointment to speak up. So we prepare for communion. Let's remember that Jesus made a divine appointment to receive, if you understand the cross, we cover this in our, in our Story of God course. And if you don't know what I mean, please take the Story of God course in this fall. He made a divine appointment to receive the wrath of God against sin on himself. He did that for us. As the Apostle Paul says, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He's not waiting for you to get your act together before he receives you or loves you. You can receive him right now by putting your faith in him and following him. And I would invite you to do that. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you now if this make, if, um, to join me. It, by the way, if you're not, it just wouldn't make sense and that's okay. Um, we would invite you to become followers of Jesus. But take the little plastic thing off on the top. Take the bread, remembering that Christ's body was broken for you. And please drink the cup, remembering his blood shed for the remission of your sins. Father, we thank you for the divine appointment that your son received, the appointment that you made within yourself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to, for God the Son to go to the cross and to take the wrath of God against sin on himself. I pray that we would not lose sense of the awe-inspiring nature of that that it would raise our temperature, that it would cause us to want to spread the word, that it would cause us to want to be salt and light, 
demonstrating the gospel by the way we live, the words we speak, the influence we have, and sharing the words of the gospel of your great love so that other people would learn and hopefully respond. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.